Coming up next on Inside Golf Podcast, U.S. Open, overreactions, proper reactions with Brian Kirscher and some traveler's picks, of course. But first, we are presented, as always, by rickrungood.com. All the stats and tools that I will be referencing on the podcast, you can find over at rickrungood.com. We've got those U.S. Open stats uploaded already. The best place to reach me with any questions is in that Rick Run Good Slack channel. It's a great community, very active. So head on over to rickrungood.com, promo code Andy. That is the important part, and we'd love to have you. One quick note before we get started, two quick notes actually. No scramble with Rick on Tuesday. He's still in Boston, and logistically it just would have been tough with the travel, uh, but we will be back on the scramble on Friday. And then next week, for me on this podcast feed, and I won't be on the scramble Tuesday either, no John Deere stuff at all. My cousin is getting married this weekend, and then as soon as the wedding ends on Monday, I'm flying to Chicago to play some golf. Uh, so I'll basically be out of commission this weekend through next Thursday, but we'll be back the following week for what I want to say is the Scottish Open, uh, and then the British is right around the corner as well. So my apologies. My cousin only gets married once, hopefully. And then the following Monday, I got invited to play a top 50 golf course in the country. So I took it. But that's all I got at the top. Let's bring on Brian. All right. Brian Kirshner is here. We're both reeling off the uh, recent news that Ellie Zeeler has a boyfriend, but it sounds like you... <laughs> It sounds like you had a uh, phenomenal day on the golf course. How was it? Beth Page Yellow, I want to say? Yeah, played yellow uh, from the tips with the boss man. Got to celebrate uh, Juneteenth uh, today, <laughs> national holiday now. Um, look, I'm playing and I feel like I'm good at golf. Like, I feel like my game is in a great place. Driver is just so dialed. Like I hit one bad drive today. Like I'm just confident off the tee, you know, give me a approach wedge through a seven iron. I'm going to hit the green short games, a little, you know, touch and go, but you know, I'm fine. So it's a big summer. We're breaking 90 a lot. I'm excited to, uh, for you to get to the East coast so we could get out there more. Yeah. You think we're going to have to give John and your strokes at this point? One million percent if we're playing all shot. Um, Jers and I are hopefully going to play this Friday. Depends on how busy I am with work. But I think I could beat Jers straight up. You're obviously better than John. So strokes will have to be given. We're a deadly team. And, you know, I think we got to work in some other formats because my strongest part of my game right now is off the tee. And if you're hitting the approach shots, there's really no one that could beat us. Mm. Okay, give me a scouting report on him on what you see this Friday. Yes. And then and then as you said, I will be back. I'm flying in day after tomorrow to New York. I have a wedding in Rhode Island on Friday, all through that out that weekend. And then Monday I'm going to Chicago to play golf Monday through Wednesday. And then literally from next Wednesday on, New York for two months. Like legit feature film we're talking. Absolute feature film, roll the credits. I've been looking forward to this. Like you're a bi-coastal friend, but you know, when you're in town for the on the East Coast, 
You come out to Long Island. I go into the city. You know, it, it's a great time. I heard you picked up a birthday gift for me. I mean, I you've been an excellent friend, but <laughs> I, I, I'm also a great friend to you. You know, I place a lot of bets for you. Um, so, you know, it, it's a two way street in this relationship. One thousand percent. Well, I can't wait. I'm uh, I think it's going to be a good summer. I your goal is what's your official goal? My goal is break 80 from the tips at Beth Page Black. Yeah, well, you know that you're going to um, 1000%. I think, you know, with the course history now, given you've given it two reps now, you know, you've kind of learned the course. Um, I think you can absolutely break 80 from the tips there. But I'm telling you right now, you only have two shots to do it because I'm not playing black more than two times. It's not an enjoyable, you know, it's like a once in a while thing. You know, I'm trying to score. I'm not trying to be 220 out in the rough. Like that's not <laughs> enjoyable golf for me. So you get two trips top because I, I'm not playing it more than twice this summer. Okay. Well, that's fine. I'm, I'm good with two. I know we'll got to, we'll got to do one with, with powers. So that'll be one of them, but I'm good with two. I agree with you. I don't think Beth page is uh Beth page black is the type of course that you want to be playing every single day. But I, yeah, I agree. You kind of, the course history, I think will help me a little bit, just like it helped Matthew Fitzpatrick. How about that transition BK? You should do this professionally. That was absolutely unbelievable. You know, the Matt Fitzpatrick thing, this was, you know, it was almost a bit in the betting community. It was something that you right. could have seen coming four weeks ago. But it wasn't even like a situation where every single one, everyone's on a guy like a Sun JM or something and he's super popular and he goes out and wins. It wasn't even like that because all you needed to know was that he won the USM there in 2013. It was all they talked about um, on the coverage leading up to it. And he goes out and wins. It's just like, I really would not expect something like that to happen, but sometimes it's that easy. I firmly believe that if he had not won the USAM, he would have been on way more betting cards. I Absolutely. firmly believe that, right? I, I, I do. And I think that, you know, also a lot of part of the reason I believe that he wasn't on that many betting cards and he wasn't that popular is because everyone's kind of had their fair share of betting Matt Fitzpatrick outright this year. Oh, whether yeah. it, you know, every me and you both you very much so very much everyone kind of you know had that taste of him being in contention on sunday at an event and just not being able to close and i think that that wears on people and i think that when you get to a major championship and you know the guy's 30 to 1 i think it's just hard to pull the trigger and then again like you say you are kind of the mayor of it's not that easy it's not that obvious it was that easy it was that obvious (laughs) i know well, I've got a bunch of, I wanted, to, you got to start with Fitzpatrick here. So I wanted to work him in early, but basically I've got a bunch of, I've got like five takes for you, BK. And we're going to play a game called overreaction, proper reaction, where I'm going to give you five takes coming out of the US Open. Now, these are not necessarily takes that I believe they're like 50%, I believe, or maybe sometimes less, or maybe sometimes a little bit more. Who can say? But the game that we're going to play is I'm going to give you the take, and then you're going to tell me if you think that's an overreaction to what I saw at the US Open or a proper reaction. Sound good? Perfect. Love it. Okay. Did we give enough shine to Fitzpatrick? The only thing I want to, because I don't have a take on Fitzpatrick, really. Like I, I just like, the only thing that I would add he got the wrong side of the weather draw at both the PGA and uh, the U.S. Open. So, like, he's spotting 
half the best players in the world three and a half strokes through those two tournaments, and he almost won both of them, which is yeah. just like I just I could not be more impressed. He didn't even putt well, Brian. Like he, it wasn't even like. Did you see the? I know you're just looking at the stats. He he was like a neutral putter. Yeah, and, and I was listening to Billy Foster after, and he was like giving him um, his giving Fitz shit for his putting all week, and he's like, "Oh, thank God he didn't blow that five uh, feet pass in this nice uh, English accent." But yeah, neutral with the putter, you, you know, you wouldn't think that would be how he got it done, but. At the end of the day, his performance on Sunday was just really spectacular. And I thought we saw it last year with John Rahm at the U.S. Open. You have to have something magical and improbable happen on the back nine of a Sunday yeah. to win a really big event. Rahm makes those two crazy putts coming down the stretch at Torrey Pines. And gets the most ridiculous free drop of all time. Of course. And then Fitz had basically the same exact thing happen where he drains a 50-foot birdie putt. He gets up and down from 225 from a trampled lie where yeah. if he missed less right, you know, he's totally boned and there's no way he's making birdie. At the end of the day, that up and down from 225, he hit the shot. That was unbelievable what he did there. And he took the advantage of a great situation and he made the most out of it. And at the end of the day, to win golf tournaments, to, to win these big events, you need something magical to happen. And he certainly had plenty of Fitz magic um, on Sunday and throughout the week. Well, the man who finished runner-up to Fitzmagic is a man, by the way, of Will Zalatoris, and that's where I want to get started with our first overreaction, proper reaction. BK, did you hitch your wagon to a bridesmaid? I think between Louis and Will Zalatoris, your favorite player, because now you've switched to Will, your favorite pay player has finished runner-up in five of the last eight majors. Like, wh what is the state of the union on Zalatoris Island, because to me, I think you could go two ways with it. You could obviously say this is an incredibly encouraging sign, but I think there are probably some people out there that are looking at it and saying, what's the deal with this guy? And after a certain amount of times, maybe this is going to start fucking with him a little bit. Overreaction, proper reaction. I think that thinking that this might fuck with him and that he might be doomed is a bit of an overreaction. I kind of compare Zalatoris to maybe that girl in college that, you know, you were very much into and she was super flirty with you and she was always seeming like she was putting it on for you. And you really wanted to, you know, you know, get to know her and sleep with her and hook up with her. And she just never gave it up. She never gave it up, but she continued to flirt with you consistently the whole year. And then you get to a point and you finally, you know, this is going to happen when Zalatoris wins. It's like, you finally bag it. And it's like, okay, that was it. Like, I want it to be over. <laughs> like, either like, tell me you love me or like, I'm just done with you. So he's just the biggest tease in the entire world. But, you know, I think that's fun. I think that's maybe why golf betting is so much fun. And this sport is so great because you can hit your wagons to these guys and they you have be in the potential to win a bunch of money and they could be up a shot in the lead and then they can blow it and you just are full of emotions and it's always a great Sunday sweat. But yeah, I, I'm just being completely let on. Everyone is. Do you have a historical player comp to him? I don't know anyone that's had this great of major results in this least amount of starts without a win on tour. It's just, there, I don't know if there's anyone in history like this. You prompted me with this this morning, and I 
looked a little bit this afternoon and I couldn't find one. No, because what's unique about Zalatoris is that he's not winning on the PGA tour. So even a guy like Mickelson, Mickelson had all these close calls in majors, but the difference between him was that he was, he was winning on the PGA tour. Like he was winning, uh, Phoenix and all those events, like very, very early on. Zalatoris is in this weird spot where his, he's, been so much better than his baseline in these major championships and he's not like dominating weaker fields the way that you think you would which I think makes him such a hard player to evaluate like I think I think the guy that you gotta like do you think he's better at golf than Victor Hovland who's had a more impressive career to you Hovland or Zalatoris unequivocally Zalatoris not really okay if Victor Hovland won a Bay Hill or won a Genesis or won a big event okay he's won Mayakoba twice overseas like he just doesn't have those big dick European tour wins like he just doesn't have impressive wins um for me so I I think it's really no question for me that it's Will Z and the thing about it that is so crazy is that he didn't have a three-putt all week and he gained 7.2 strokes putting it's just like you you can't even knock the guy anymore about the putting obviously it doesn't look great but he didn't miss a single shorty all week to my knowledge he missed a six footer and a nine footer for birdie on sunday but my thing about it and the thing that gives me hope is that you look at his sunday performances and his three runner-ups yeah um he's not like choking like he's not not playing badly he's just getting beat Yeah. And at the 2020 Masters, he putted pretty poorly. He had a bunch of three putts. So that was probably his worst Sunday in a major when he was really contending at the PGA. Obviously, he had that short miss on 15. And then it's just like yesterday, he didn't miss a single shorty and he putted really well and made some really pressure putts. And it's just like, I feel like every single time he's putting a little bit better, getting more and more of these experiences. And hopefully, And it's not even like a Scotty comp because Scotty, although he had great major results before he won the Masters, he was never truly in it and had a really gut-wrenching runner-up that Zalatoris is now at two in the past about two months or so. Right. I agree with you. I think he's going to be fine. I will admit, it seems like he took this one harder than the PGA. Like It seemed like just listening to what he had to say after, after the PGA it seemed like he was kind of gung-ho and pumped. This one, it seemed like he took this one a little bit harder and then you see him withdraw from the Travelers. But I think he's going to be, I think St. Andrews, I mean, you bet him at St. Andrews, right? Yeah, a bunch of people have this crazy like 60 to 1 number. I'm on it. Again, (laughs) I, if again, like you said, don't bet it without seeing the weather. Unless it plays super tough, I don't love it. I, you know, prefer him at the Masters, US Open, PGA. But I truly, truly do believe that he will win a major next year at one of those three events. And I really have no doubt in my mind about it. Yeah, I like him at LACC. That could be a good spot for him. Um, All right, next one. Colin Morikawa, trackman golfer? He shoots three rounds in the 60s. And then the one day where you get true vintage US Open conditions... The dude shoots 77. Both of his majors came in, also blew away at the players, by the way. Both of his majors came in easier scoring conditions for a major championship. Trackman golfer, dome golfer, Colin Morikawa. 
you know, I think that is probably a proper reaction wow. at this very point in his career. You know, I think that it's very hard to knock a guy that is top five in every single major and, you know, X amount of starts, a, a brilliant stat put out um, by you earlier in the year. Again, it's it's hard to say prove it to me, Colin Morikawa, given how successful he's been. And there's nothing wrong with winning a non-windy uh, open championship. Like, there's nothing wrong with that. That's at no fault of his own. Again, maybe I would like to see him battle it in some windy, rainy conditions all day, but he doesn't really have anything to prove. He's good on majors for the next, like, two or so years. And we kind of talked about that. Is like, I think he was due for a little regression in major championships. And although, you know, the approach numbers weren't great leading up, I think he proved a lot of people wrong last week in, in playing well. Right. I, I mean, I would say that even that is an overreaction uh, in this, like the idea that he's not going to be able to be good in, in difficult conditions. I think it's too early to judge. I mean, I, let's look at somebody like JT, who now has kind of turned into, I mean, you want to talk about another guy that got the wrong side of the draw in both the PGA and the US Open. And it's funny, uh, and the players. And it's funny because JT's best rounds of all of those tournaments came on the super, super hard day. But you look at JT before, like JT kind of had that reputation. Like there were questions about JT in the wind. Can JT win an event under like seven or eight under, right? So I think it's too early to say on Morikawa. Although I will admit with him and Xander, it is a little bit jarring that when you get these tougher, tougher days, they just completely eject and look great all the other three days. Like it was, this is a weird US Open because Saturday was so much harder than all the other days. Like there was almost a stroke and a half difference between Saturday and all the other days. And so you look at the guys that completely ejected on Saturday and were like, huh, what's going on there? But on the other hand, from everything I've heard about Bodenheimer and the new guys that are over at the USGA, like, they're terrified to give us Shinnecock. Like they're not gonna, they're gonna teeter on the side of what we got this week, which was like very fair, proper test of golf, but like not the winner is one over. You know what I mean? Yeah, and I, and I have absolutely no problem with the winner being minus six and only Me like neither. nine guys being under par. Like I'm not really sure what's wrong with that and why people would be, you know, upset with that. Obviously it's fun to see a guy like win and it only take plus one and see these guys look ridiculous, but there was plenty of that at this year's us open. So I think that you know, the four to six range is a really great score uh, for the us open. And I think that they learned from events like uh, pebble and uh, when Brooks won and those scores got um, a lot lower. So I think they learned their lesson with those two um, events and have really dialed in this really nice winning range. And I thought it was a pleasure to watch all week. Next one, Rory McIlroy, he goes to Southern Hills, phenomenal golf course for his game that plays right into his strengths, holds the first round lead, gets over that hump, gets almost a two-stroke advantage on half the best players in the world, your Roms and your Schefflers and your Morikawas because of the weather draw, doesn't win that one. Now Rory goes to Brookline, gets the right side of the weather draw again, and has quite literally the best putting week of his entire career, and he doesn't win. Like, Rory McIlroy gaining 10 strokes putting in a major can't win. Is this ever going to happen for him? 
Overreaction? No, proper it's reaction. never going to happen. He's never going to win another major. Um, wow. The talking point I wanted to bring up, and the fact that I think a lot of people are seeing it, is if I told you to begin the week, Andy, that Rory McIlroy would gain, would lead the field in strokes gained putting and almost gain 10 strokes putting, you would believe that he would win this U.S. Open, right? Maybe, I mean, maybe, maybe by eight. To be honest exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so if he can't even do it when he's putting that well, and obviously he's a prolific ball striker, one of the best drivers of the ball to ever live, and he puts finally puts it together with the flat stick, and he doesn't win. You know, obviously he has a lot of pressure going on in his life, but still. And, and then I also think the guys he had to beat. Obviously, was a lead at the top with Scotty Scheffler, but he had to beat. When else are the final pairing and two guys? that are really going down the stretch at it in the U.S. Open, two guys that have never won on the PGA Tour. So I think you give, you know, how well he putted, the course fit for him, the guys at the top, his inability to win a major over the past eight years. No, I don't think it will ever happen again. And I, I, I'm I, fine with that take. I'll never bet him in a major under 15 to 1. Absolutely not. I think there's no reason to do that. Mm. Let's, let's see what he does at St. Andrews. Um, I, <laughs> I've kind of had him earmarked for that one for a while. So I want to see what he does at St. Andrews, but I agree with you. Part of me looked at it and was like, if you actually watched Rory all week, like it was unbelievable the way that he was grinding to stay in that tournament. Like he had that left miss going on again and he made so many putts. Like it was so tilting watching the guy putt, but yeah, I agree with you. I think if you're gaining 10 strokes putting and you're Rory and you're still not winning, you got to you gotta ask the question. All right, next one. What's the state of the union on Brooks? Like, is he done? Are we just done with this guy? Like, proper reaction, overreaction. Like, are we just out on him? He's done winning majors? Yeah, I, I, I do. You know, I think he's a guy, you know, you want to target in the swing season always kind of um, in these events. No, but I also understand like betting someone at like 40 or 50 to one. Like my fundamental question to you would be like, what is the difference between betting last week? What was the difference between betting Brooks and DJ? Like, I don't know if there was really that much um, different. You're taking a guy that has obviously shown he can contend and win majors at a easier, like at a higher price where you could fit him into a lot of betting cards. So I don't really fault people for betting him. I know there weren't that many, but yeah, I don't think he'll, he'll win um, another major again. And he might be on the live tour for all we know. So who really knows, but yeah, I'm out on Brooks, as you would say. I'm not willing to say that he's not going to win majors again. I just, I found him so unlikable at the U.S. Open. Like, I've always been pretty neutral on Brooks. And this is the first time where I was kind of just like, fuck that, dude. Like, you're going after journalists for asking you about the biggest fucking story in the history of golf. Like, what the fuck do you expect them to ask? And I think the shtick that he does, the overconfidence thing, I think it works well when you're playing well. I think it works as like a gamesmanship tactic and I kind of respect it and appreciate it. And I think you need to have a little bit of that to be a really, really great player when you're not playing well, fuck off, dude. I mean, it's just not endearing at all. I honestly, I think it's pretty off putting the way he was answering questions, both after his round on Friday and pre tournament. 
you've got like one stroke play top 10 in eight months, dude. Like, stop acting like you've got the biggest stick in the room. You haven't been remotely relevant in a golf tournament in a year. So for me with Brooks, it's just like, I don't care anymore. Like, I, I just like play well and then I will evaluate you if that makes sense. Yeah, I think the real downfall to Brooks Kepka, I think you could trace it back to that Saturday night at the 2020 PGA where he was in the top five and he was asked a question about, you know, how he liked his chances going into tomorrow. And he like looked at the leaderboard and he goes, well, no one up here has really won much. I mean, DJ's won one, but everyone else hasn't won much. He goes out and shoots like a 76, falls out of the top 20. I think that kind of derailed him a little bit. And I think that that was kind of this new era of Brooks that we saw after that moment in my very much opinion. Next one, Patrick Cantlay, only a birdie fest guy. Patrick Cantlay suck. Like I, (laughs) I don't like, I think you're way better in a way better situation to kind of give a take on Cantlay, given the fact that you bet him outright, even though like the most like take in the world is like, just don't play him in majors. And it was also the same price as Matt Fitzpatrick. So I think that one hurts a little bit for you because you you easily could uh, fit him into that uh, betting card of yours. But no, I will not play Patrick Cantley in majors. It's a bit at this point, but I also think it's a plus EV move to just not bet him outright in majors. Um, I'm, you know, impressed that, you know, he was able to finish top 20. I think he was pretty close to the cut line um, on Friday. He battled back and played really well. But I will say that I think his best major thus far helping um, with this performance last week is the U S open. So I think if there is one major to play Cantley at, it is the U S open, but he's a fade in every single other major forever, basically, because he'll never win a major. Who are you? Mo- who are you more likely to bet at a major at the same number? Cantley or Xander? That's maybe the best question <laughs> you have ever asked me. And I, if you are listening to this, I want you to write down your answer and DM it to me or Andy, because that's a great question. I would say Xander, because I think he's more well-equipped to handle different major setups and that he's been great at Augusta. He's had some good finishes at the open. And I think the PGA and US open are obviously great for him. So I'll, I'll go Xander there. I'm not there yet on Cantlay, although my case is getting flimsier. Um, I tweeted this out too, but Cantlay and Xander both finished top 15 at the U.S. Open, and it feels like their stock went down. And I'm not even just saying like public perception. Like I have to admit, like I'm not. They finished top 15 at the hardest tournament of the year, and I can't definitively say that I feel better about either of them, even though you have a ton of big names missing the cut. And I thought it was pretty admirable how those guys grinded on Sunday, at least, you know, both of them shot two of the rounds of the day on Sunday. I can't, I can't stick a fork in Cantlay yet. First of all, I think Augusta is a very good fit for him. I think I would disagree and say, even though he's never missed a cut at a U.S. Open, by the way, and he's finished top 35 past three years, I would say that, he is most likely to win a Masters. Um, you would rather bet him in a U.S. Open than a Masters? I mean, I wouldn't bet him at either, but 
he's been just not great. Like, I know he has that great finish in 2019 at the Masters, but that's a thing where it's like the past three years, he's played the same exact course and he missed it two years ago and he had a, a very poor finish this year. You know, so I think the Masters is a place Scotty Scheffler kind of bucked the trend a little bit, even though he had two top twenties where guys consistently play well at the event over and over. And you see the same exact guys popping up over and over a Corey Connors, a Cam Smith, a Wells Alatoris. He doesn't have that just yet for me to say that he is on track to win um, a masters in my opinion. Fair. I, I keep bringing up Phil though. Like to me, it's like Cantlay's 28 and He's won twice at Memorial, which is a lot like Augusta in a lot of ways. And one of the harder U.S., one of the harder non-majors. Uh, and I think with the way that the USGA is trending, that they're not going to be nutty and insanely hard. And I think if you can win at the Memorial twice and contend at Augusta and be in the mix at Beth Page, and you're 28. I mean, Phil won his first major at 32. And can't like the dude was awesome. And I, I watched him at a, the Ryder Cup. I remember watching him in the Ryder Cup. Like the dude was fucking stones. And I know that this was a birdie fest, but remember that playoff where we all had Bryson at Caves Valley? And it was just like, is this dude ever going to fucking miss? Like that's why I think it could translate. But I agree with you that the case is getting flimsier. Yeah, and I think the memorial example is why everyone's just kind of like, what the fuck about it? It's not like he's never won on an extremely difficult golf course, and it wasn't like it happened five years ago. So I think the memorial thing really perplexes a lot of people because you would think that would translate into success at uh, majors, but it it really just hasn't um, at this very moment in time. The PGA Championship in two years is at Valhalla, a Jack Nicklaus course. That might be a good spot for him. Okay, this is like um okay, this one is a I I want to talk about this guy and then I'll kind of get to what I want to ask you about if this is a proper reaction or an overreaction. So I was thinking about Scotty Scheffler a lot this morning. And to me, Scotty Scheffler is who everybody wanted Rom to be, by the way. Rom shot four over on Sunday, worst round of all players in the top 25. Good one, dude. But I, you know, I look at a guy like Scotty Scheffler. That dude, he's just there no matter what, whether he has his A game or his B game. And that, again, I think is what a lot of people wanted, keep saying Rom is going to be like. Rom's the type of guy that's going to hang around if he doesn't have his A game or his, if he doesn't have his A game, he can hang around and win tournaments with his B game. Well, Rom was irrelevant by the six hole on Sunday, and it wasn't like Scotty Scheffler was playing all that great. And he was in that tournament with a chance to win on the 18th hole on Sunday. He gained like 10 strokes on approach this week. Like Scott, the only guy that hit the ball better this week than Scotty Scheffler was Matt Fitzpatrick. So my question to you, Brian, if you actually look at Scotty Scheffler's season, like I'll be totally honest with you. And I think you probably didn't, didn't feel this way because you bet Scotty Scheffler this week. After he won the Masters, I kind of thought Scheffler was going to go away. I kind of thought he was going to regress a little bit. And since winning the fucking Masters, he's been one shot away from winning the fucking U S open and he lost in another playoff in colonial. 
He's two shots away from having six wins this season, a WGC, two majors, the Arnold Palmer and the Phoenix, which are two big PGA Tour wins with great fields. You go back and look. I promise I'm getting to the question in the second part. I want to get all this stuff in because I think it's interesting. Wrote all this stuff down, taking notes here. You go back and look, Brian. Like what he's doing, this is a this is a season for Tiger in his prime. Like six wins, one to three majors, right? And I know that sounds crazy, and Scotty doesn't feel anything like Tiger, and I'm obviously not comparing the two. I'm I'm not saying I that's not fair to Scotty. I'm just saying match up what a Tiger in his prime season looked like to the results that Scotty has put up this year, and it's the exact same fucking thing. So my overreaction, proper reaction question to you is, like, we talked, the thing that always grinded my gear was when people started saying there was a gap between Rom and the second best player in the world. Like, is there a gap, like, is where Scotty at right now, is there a gap? There's a gap statistically, there's a gap in the strokes gain number, but to you, does it feel like, does Scotty to you, I know he didn't win, but does it feel like to you like Scotty is kind of on a different level than everyone else right now? I, I really do believe that he is on a different level compared to the elite guys um, on the PGA Tour. I don't think that is an overreaction. I think that is a fair reaction. Um, you know, something you've always talked about and something that you've always, you know, been a proponent of is just how goddamn hard it is to actually win on the PGA Tour, especially in 2022, where there is just an abundance of elite talent. And like you always say, you know, new guys popping up every single week and for him to win four times including a major and be two strokes away from six you know, wins two, two majors. six wins two majors in the same year it's just you know i know speed did it i know other people have done it you know speed had that magical year in 2015 but i just think the talent is so much better now that it's even more impressive as to what he's done and you know the u.s open i i think that there's a big gap between, you know, him and these other guys in terms, you know, we love betting in terms of like, if you want to just bet a guy and, and again, he was 15 to one at the U S open. There were like three or four guys shorter than him. Um, if you want to just bet a guy every week, again, it's not, you know, great given his odds always, but for just for him to be there and just for him to give you a chance on Sunday going forward, like I just don't really know when it will stop with Scotty. And I think that we kind of saw it given his performance in majors before last year, how gutsy he's been in all four of his wins. And I just think that he's an extremely, extremely elite talent. He's already made, again, inflation and everything. He's already made more money than anyone has on the PGA Tour in a single season. And again, I think another thing that everyone brings up, he does it on every single type of different course. Like, he just right. doesn't have one fit. So, I, you know, I can't say enough good things about Scotty. Um, I love him. He's a great guy. And I think that he will be a force to be reckoned with on the PGA Tour for the next five years. Yeah, you know, I know this sounds crazy um, because I probably should have came to this conclusion weeks ago, but this is the first time where I was like, I legitimately think that this guy is like head and shoulders the best player in the world, regardless of outcome. Like, let me ask you this. As somebody holding a Scotty ticket, on Saturday night and a Zalatoris ticket, by the way, who did you think was going to win heading into the Sunday final round? Because I have an admission that I want to tell you after. 
Like, I, you know, again, it's hard to answer this question, honestly, because I had a ticket to win, like, four grand on Zalatoris, and my ticket on Scotty was only win, like, 1500 So, like, there was a massive difference in terms of who I wanted to win this tournament. Obviously, I would like to say I had an outright winner, but the money wasn't really even close. But when Scotty holed out for Eagle on Saturday, and when he made four birdies on the front nine, I was like, this is Scotty's to win. He's not going to blow this. He just has to be Fitz and Zal. Like, I thought he was going to kind of run away with it, and he showed he was human. And he missed an inside 10-footer for birdie on that par five on the back. So, again, he easily could have won, but I was way more confident in Scotty coming down the stretch. But what, what is your uh, guilty admission? Well, I was going to say, if you had asked me on Saturday night who's going to win the U.S. Open, I would have told you Rom. I, I actually, heading into that round on Sunday, I thought Rom was going to win. And then, you know, within a couple, the early coverage started and they both kind of got started on their round. And it kind of hit me. I was like, why do I keep thinking that Rom is better than it? Like, again, like in DraftKings, like I played Rom, not Scheffler. Like, we have a year of data basically now where every single time these guys go head to head, dating back to that Ryder Cup match that I watched in person, Scheffler. IGP his- bingo card, check it. Yep. Scotty <laughs> Scheffler on the Ryder card, check the bingo card on that. Dating back a year now, every time these guys go head to head, Scheffler kicks his ass. So, I'm kind of the idiot here because why do I keep thinking that Rom is better? And so today or yesterday was the first time where I was like, Scotty's better. Scotty is Scotty is the guy right now. I think it can change really quickly, obviously. But to me, Scotty Scheffler, there's not a conversation. I think he's the best player in the world. To me, my top five right now, I think it's Scotty one, Rory two, JT three. I would still put Colin and Rom as four and five. What about you? What's your like top five best players in the world right now? Like who should be, you know, who's like, who has the belt right now? I think it's Scotty without question. I really don't think there's any um, doubt about that. And I'll actually put JT at two, given the fact that he won um, a major this year and was obviously great at the masters and, you know, had a middling finish, but I think he's someone that I'm just extremely high on his talent. And I think that he'll just be in it every single week. So I'll go Roy three. And then I, you know, four and five, I guess Colin and Rob, but like, not really like Colin hasn't had that great of a year, you know, I think Cam Smith maybe could be put in there, but you know, he was not very impressive in his last two events. And I know he has a certain course that, you know, he tends to play well on, but I think Cam Smith is definitely in there for four or five, you know, you know, Sam Burns, maybe five or six. I think he's resume wise. It's not crazy. Like you can make a very, very easy argument that Sam Burns has, I mean, Patrick Cantlay's, one stroke away from winning three times this season. He's lost in two playoffs and, you know, kind of carried Xander in that team event too, right? So, I mean, like, it's not insane. I think I just, like, I just, in my head, I think that Rom and Colin are better than some of those guys. But, like, yep. you look at Burns' season, Cam Smith's season, like, I have no problem with putting them in the top five. 
Yeah. And I think it's, you know, it's a definitely a, a di- an interesting debate. And I think that it needs to be, you know, settled on both sides. But, you know, I think that the fact that Sam Burns has won three times, you know, Rom has won the Mexico Open, which is like half a win. You know, Colin hasn't won since that Open Championship. So I, I think it's a debate that it needs to be had. And I think that Cantley 1000% is top six for me, yeah. at least e- even though he's been underwhelming in the majors. I think it really comes down to personal preference of how highly you rate that. Right. And then you have to put Fitz and Zalatoris top 10 yeah. right now to 100%. I, I mean, that those are the overreaction. This isn't really an overreaction, underreaction though. But the last guy I want to hit on, I think heading into this year, we both thought that this was a phenomenal year of major championship venues for Jordan Spieth. Top 30 and zero of them, including the players. Just hasn't shown up. How are you feeling about Spieth heading into St. Andrews? I, you know, I think that the case you made uh, early in the year in your preview pod was really excellent. And I thought it was really, you know, just a great conversation. And it was, you know, just great, obviously. And the fact that he didn't show up in really any of them, including a miscut at Augusta National, which I think he's played well at um, off the top of my head. (laughs) It's really, really odd. But again, I think going forward, I think it's the Masters and the Open Championship. for Yeah, that's fair. I, I think that the way that these, you know, PGA Championships and US Opens are set up, I don't know if you could win it strictly on short game. I just, if it's a plus one, maybe, but I just don't see it. I don't think he is in that as elite driver of the ball to compete in these. So, but at the open championship at the masters, you don't need that. So I think going forward, I think one of the, ne- I don't, I don't see Spieth winning a U.S. open or a PGA for the rest of his career. I think it will only be an open or the masters. Anything else on the U.S. Open you want to touch on? Any takes you want to fire before we do some traveler stuff? No, I, I think that the segment was great. And, um, you know, I, I said my pieces. I said my overreactions. You know, I'm not going to come on here with some, you know, vanilla ass takes. Um, you know, it's nice to, you know, take a stand um, every once in a while. But, yeah, Willie Z, whatever. Like, it's fine. Like, you know, I walked into work this morning. I was like to my boss, I was like, you know, last night I said I was okay. Like, I'm not okay. Like, I'm not okay about Zalatoris um, losing that. But, you know, still the boy. And uh, he'll, he'll get one next year. <sighs> Who's your, I always like to ask this the week, uh, the week after a major, who wins the Open Championship right now on, on Monday morning? It's been Cam Smith since <laughs> the beginning of the year. It's like not even a question. Every single aspect of the course is perfect for Cam Smith. Wide open fairways, left miss, have to make a bunch of birdies. It's short, a lot of wedges. It's Cam Smith. Cam Smith is winning the Open Championship. Like just, just it's done. Okay. I, I mean, I can't, I, I can't argue with it at all. He's a good pick, man. I'll go with Rory for now. But uh, I, you, you heard the uh, Kobe come on and who played St. Andrews the other day and talk about it. And the first thing he said, yeah, I was like, oh, fuck, that sounds a lot like Cam Smith. So anyway, Travelers Championship, Brian Kirshner. I did a deep dive on the course on Sunday. Anything, you're going to this event, by the way, and you went to this event last year. Is there anything you want to add on the course as somebody who has been on the grounds before and will be on the grounds again before we get into some of these players? 
There is nothing I could say about this course that I could say better than you. Obviously, <laughs> you are the course preview guy. I just listen and try and make my own uh, picks. Uh, but, you know, this this place and this tournament has a very special place um, in my heart. My dad would take me to this event when I was five or six years old. He explained to me what an each way bet was. We would yell in golfers. We faded in matchups, backs, swings. So, you know, this play, you know, my dad kind of introduced me to golf betting here. So this is a special tournament for me. I cannot wait to be there. Um, I would say initial takeaway, um, something that I would like to bring up would be that one, it's like you talked about, it's surprising that these guys can't take it to 20 under given it's like, you know, 13, mm. 14, 15 can win it, which I think was really surprising. And I think it was surprising last year for me. And like you talked about, it's hard to model. It's hard to kind of figure out a specific skill set, you know, a U.S. Open elite driver, you know, some other shorts like, you know, mid iron play, like putting, stuff like that. And I think that Harris English winning is like kind of the perfect example of that. Like yeah. off the top of your head, does Harris English have an elite skill set? Like, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I don't really think so. So the fact that he's one of the travelers, which is a course that, you know, a lot of different guys have got it done a lot of different ways. I think it's a perfect example of how this course is really unique on the PGA tour, because it's not one where you can easily say you need to do this well to win. And we've kind of got an awesome field, so I'm excited for you. I, the top of the board, I mean, I think I pulled these from FanDuel. Scotty 11, Rory 11, JT 11. They didn't know what to do with any of those guys, so they're all at 11. And then you have Cantlay at 16, Burns at 18, Xander at 21, Spieth at 22. Are you betting any of these guys, any of these top dogs? And if you, so if you were, who, who would be, probably be your favorite? Yeah, so it, it's tough for me because I haven't completely structured my card yet. But obviously, going to an event, I want as many bullets as possible. I can confidently say I'm not going to bet anyone below 20 to 1 this week. The only guy I would bet up top would be Jordan Spieth. There's a hmm. 25 to 1 on him on Caesars right now. I think this is a very similar situation to what happened at the RBC Heritage off a missed cut um, at. Uh, the Masters the week before. I think you want to play Jordan Spieth on short positional golf courses. Two of his best results this year were at Pebble and were at RBC. So I really like that aspect of it. And I just think that he's playing some really elite golf, even though he hasn't exactly shown it in the majors um, since his win at RBC, obviously followed it up with a second place finish at uh, the Byron Nelson, then seventh at Charles Schwab, top 20 at the Memorial. So if I'm starting my betting card, it would be with Jordan Spieth at 25 to 1. How about you? Well, you know, I wrote up Patrick Cantlay in the odds checker article that I did this morning. I haven't made the bet yet for some reason. I don't know, something is like holding me back from making the bet. I want like an 18 to 1 on Patrick Cantlay. And I know a two point, I think I can get him right now at 16. And I know a two point difference doesn't really matter and i'm probably gonna i'm probably gonna end up betting him but Cantley would probably be my favorite at the top i'll tell you this and i don't think i could get away with betting him i think people would i would lose my credibility if i bet him i could see xander stabbing a lot of people in the jugular this week like i could week after a major when he's chalk and everyone's burnt out on him and he has that terrible round on saturday 
And like I said, like his stock, it feels like dropped after the US Open. And then now he goes to like a bent grass course where, uh, you know, he's not getting talked about and it's he's over 20 to one and everyone's just burnt out on it because he's the highest owned guy in DraftKings last week or or up there. I could see it. I just want to put that out into the universe because he's not going to, no one's going to be talking about Xander this week, the way that they were last week. And it feels like he's primed to do something when people least expect it, but I'd probably bet Cantlay at the top. Yeah, no, I, I think those are great cases for both of them. But as someone knows that knows Xander Shoffley's game more than really anybody, wouldn't you prefer him, prefer him at a long, difficult golf course where he has a lot of long irons in his hand? Like, do you think yes. his special? Yeah, so yes. I think this week with the wedges, it's a little tough. But in terms of DraftKings, kind of someone to start your lineup, I'll be all over JT. I just think he's mm, the most consistent play at the top, like on DraftKings every single week. And I think, you know, just eye test, obviously he's going to lead in proximity from every single sack category, but he's really good with his wedges. And I think just eye test, he seems to put it close when he has a wedge in his hand very often. And I think coming off, you know, kind of a middling result at the U.S. Open, I'm not going to say he's going to be overlooked, but to start my DraftKings lineups at the top of the board, 100%, it's going to be JT. But to someone to start my betting card with, I'm kind of liking the 25 on Jordy, and I would love to, you know, kind of follow him and, you know, just vibe out with him and Geller. I completely agree with you about JT. I think that JT is in a much better position to play well this week than Rory. I just think this is a JT actually hasn't been that awesome at this course, but I think that this is such a good fit for him. I mean, his play from 125 to 175. I mean, he can play well anywhere. So he's a bad long iron player, but he's really, really able to separate himself there. The qu- the problem I keep having, Brian, is every like every single week, I think there's been three weeks in a row where I've been like, if Scotty Scheffler is under 20%, you are a fucking idiot for not playing him. And I think once again, for every single week this season, despite him being the best player in the world, like he will probably be underowned in DraftKings. I, uh, you know, I I played a lot of Scotty last week. I was in some contests where he was literally four percent. It's insane. It's like actually crazy. And I think this week, with the help of you, you know, we could find some diamonds in the sixes and sevens this oh, week. Yeah. We're gonna have oh yeah, no problem with that. So I think he's actually easier to fit in your DraftKings lineups this week than the week before. And obviously, he paid off his price and his ownership last week so scotty uh always a play in DraftKings. if you could sell me on enough lower end guys and i could fit them into some lineups i'm there 100 mm. percent. let's talk about this next tier give me some guys you like between like 30 and 100 you know i don't love much here but I have maybe three or four guys that I'm interested in coming in as the most tip golfer thus far. And I think it makes a lot of sense is Seamus power. Okay. Can I ask you a question real quick? Why do you think that is? Because I saw that too. And I was like, man, I like Seamus too, but like everybody likes Seamus. 
Well, I think the biggest thing is that he was 28 to one on DraftKings and Bet365 had a 60 to one on him. So mm-hmm. I think he was at a price where a lot of people were going to play him at 45 to one and then you get a 60 on him. It's a no brainer, 60 to one. You could fit him into a lot of cards, but he played really nicely last week, T12. And, you know, I think that Pebble. You know, he played extremely well there. Another shorter positional course with a lot of wedges. Kevin Streelman has obviously been unbelievable at both the Travelers and Pebble Beach. So I kind of like that. Um, you know, he's 15th in proximity in these mid-iron ranges. So I think it's a good scoring event for him. 12th and he gained a bunch of strokes on approach, was 12th in strokes gain approach at the U.S. Open. So I, I like that. Um, out of Seamus at 60 to 1, it's really a no-brainer because that I think that's an absolutely excellent price but is there anyone in this kind of mid-tier that you wanted to start your betting card with if you don't get to Cantley? well the 60 on Seamus I was looking at a 48 and even that wasn't doing it for me but the 60 I might be in in touch with you with Nancy and accounting by the way is kind of hot right now like can't you say Rory was probably like most tip guy is coming in with some steam Rory was probably the most obvious pick at the Canadian Open right and Fitz would have been most tipped if if he was if he didn't win the fucking USAM, right? Like Fitz was like the most obvious play on the board. So I see it with Seamus too. I thought that there I when I initially did this on Sunday night, I was like, just stick around with Neiman and Cantley for one more week. So I think Neiman at 35 to 1 is fine. Keegan makes all the sense in the world as well. I kind of want a 55 on him, a 50. I guess that's probably too much to ask for on a course that he, you know, he's got the hometown narrative thing. And the thing I worry about with Keegan is kind of what we talked about a little bit with Rory, where he gained 10 strokes putting at TPC Potomac and finished second. It's like, can Keegan win? I'm not sure. Honestly, dude, the two guys that I like the most in here is Mito at 55. This is, I'm not getting Mito week vibes at all. I mean, he was chalky last week and missed the cut on the number. I think there's a great course for him. And signs of life from my boy Big Leash at 55 to 1. A very, very quiet, very, very quiet T14 at the US Open. So in this range, it'd probably be Leash and Mito that I liked. Weren't you, didn't you tell me on like Saturday that Aaron Wise was going to win this week? Like, what happened to Wise? Well, first thing I want to say is that I actually don't like Keegan this week, and I'm actually going to fade Keegan. I want Keegan at a course where ball striking is at much of a higher requisite, where there's a lot of approach shots from over 175. I think that's where Keegan really shines, where you have to be a really elite driver and really good with your long iron. So I'm completely out on Keegan. Wise, I kind of feel the same exact way I feel about Keegan. Like I want Wise on a really long, difficult golf course because Mm. I think that's where he shines the most. So on a short wedge, like Aaron Wise doesn't win at all. Like I, I don't know when he was up top in the leaderboard, I thought so because something that Pat Mayo pointed out on his research show a few weeks ago, and I just love this take. I'm hanging on to it with dear life is that you let look at the last two travelers championships. Harris English wins. He finishes T3 at the U.S. Open the week before. I don't think anyone really expected that. And then the week before that, I think people forget, is that he was in the final group at the Palmetto Championship and kind of blew it. So he was coming in with some really great form. Chez Revy, shout out Neil Schuster. T3 at the 2019 U.S. Open goes on to the Traveler 
next week. So I love that trend. And I think the person that exemplifies that trend the most in my pick to win this week is Denny McCarthy um, at about 75 to one this week. I think he is going to win this golf tournament. I, I really can't be convinced otherwise, but you look at the recent form, you look at the top 10 at the U S open. He was there. He played really well at the Memorial. He was two shots off the lead off the first round lead at Wells Fargo, a guy that, I think he just fits the mold of Chez and Harris of guys that are just playing well that you wouldn't really expect. The random guy on the leaderboard at the U.S. Open was Denny McCarthy. I think he gets it done this week, and he was pretty good on approach um, last week. Obviously, he has to do it a lot with the putter, but Denny McCarthy, 70-1, to one, love it. Absolutely. I think that he's going to be in contention this week, and I think he could pull off a victory for us. I see 75, by the way, on, uh, on FanDuel. Okay. I mean, to be honest with you, I'd rather bet Siwoo Kim at 75. I'd rather bet Webb Simpson at 75. By the way, what just happened? Like, wasn't Mav McNeely like everyone's guy? I, I kind of feel like Mav McNeely is going to play well this week. That, I might, that might be a bet for me at 80 to 1. What happened to the small greens? Pebble be like, are we just, we're out on McNeely. Wasn't McNeely's like everyone's darling and pick to break out this year. He's made like every single cut this year. I love the Mav play again. I don't want you to speak too loudly because we know how things can go on this show when you think someone's being um, underlooked, but I do think <laughs> it is a great play again. Pebble comp. Love it. So Matt McNeely, 80 to one, good number. Yeah. I think he's someone you'd like to chase. He, I think he's kind of teasing you, leading you on a little bit. A little bit. 80 to one, Matt McNeely. I, I think that's a fine play. Um, you're you're good on Siwoo after he, he broke your heart last week. Yeah, Siwoo okay. <laughs> fucked me last week. <laughs> you're ready to go back, no problem. Maybe. I've seen as high as 100. Like, I'm literally telling you right now, Brian, you know me because we talk about this every single week on Monday. Like, it is very rare that I am this undecided. We're recording this uh, 5.20 Pacific time for me on the West Coast. Like, I really don't know what I want to do. But the guys that I'm considering in this range are Webb, Siwoo, Mav McNeely, I think Bazadenhout's a great DraftKings play. I don't think he can win. And I mean, that's it, I guess. I mean, I think Brendan Steele's a good DraftKings play. I don't think he can win either. Um, but I think for me, it's like to can't lay or not to can't lay. And if I can't lay, I have room for like one or two of these guys. And if I don't can't lay, I have room for much more. I just think it's like a weird, you've got this weird mix this week. Like, what? what let me ask you this question, BK. I'm looking at all these guys at 48 to one right now. Who would you rather bet at 48 to one Brooks Fleetwood or Davis Riley? <laughs> just the who's the, who. Just knowing, the who's who. Those three. <laughs> knowing the information we have about Davis Riley, by the way, I would no. I, Again, I was th- I was going to say this. I think it's time to sell high on Davis Riley. And the last <laughs> time this was said on a podcast, he went out and won with Taylor Group. So I, I hope that's not the situation, but I, I feel pretty good about Davis Riley not winning this week. Brooks, absolutely not. No question at all. Fleetwood, absolutely not. Want him on a long, difficult golf course. I wouldn't touch any of those with a 10-foot poles, but those is truly a who's who of, of golf betting. And I think that if you wanted a horrible start to your card, you could just start with those three. 
um, at 50 to one. But yeah, that's just a, a, an odd mix uh, of guys there. It's such a blessing in disguise because if I was going to this tournament with you, my card would be Xander Fleetwood. <laughs> I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. Like you can, you know, go and, you know, bet what you want. And, you know, we're not, you know, we're not professional gamblers. You know, we like to have fun. We like to root for our guys. So there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. But um, yeah, I think you should maybe like, if there was an unofficial card that you bet ever possibly, I mm. think you should, but someone that I would like to say, so, Okay. I be, I like to I, I bet I make Andy's wagers. Like I live in New York, so I'm the guy that kind of gets it done. I'm back in New Andy. York this summer, though, so you're not so going to know who I'm picking. <laughs> um, but obviously, Andy said on his pod, I think Cam Davis is a, a mm. really great bet. I think it's a really good pick this week. So obviously, I'm up before him. Andy's on the West Coast, 150 on DraftKings. Boom, throw 30 bucks on it for me, and then I'm like, I know Andy's going to bet this. I'll throw some money. I'll throw his normal unit amount on it for him because I'm a friend like that. And I like to tell my friends out and I know you wanted to be on it. So is Cam Davis, you feel any better about the 150? I think it's a great number. I think it's an amazing number. He won the rocket mortgage on the same bet Poa greens. He was third at the heritage this year, seventh at colonial. He's oddly one of those guys that, you know, if you just look at his statistical profile on the surface, he should be really good at long courses, but he actually like always raises his baseline on shorter courses. He's been pretty good at Pebble too. So yeah, I think 150 to one on Davis was just an absurd number. I mean, I don't, are we getting into the hundreds now? I have a couple guys that I could talk about down here. Is there anyone else we missed before we get into the hundreds? I'll give you a hot take. I've seen some Joel Damon love this week. I think Joel Damon's a terrible bet this week. Did you hear what he said to Harry Higgs on the uh, on the no laying up on Friday? I listened to it. Yeah, I don't Higgs know. was it's... like, yeah, Higgs was like, enjoy yourself these next couple of days. I'll see you for nine holes on Wednesday afternoon. You think Joel fucking Damon after the best start of his career is going to be grinding at TPC river Highlands for the next three days. Come on. He does like to booze. And honestly, he was someone that I was kind of like, maybe like I might bet at a hundred, but I'm down. I'll, I'll, I'll tell you, um, I'm, I'm down to fade Joey D. Um, but yeah, he, he's, I mean, he hit the ball beautifully. Um, last week, so I, I think there's that aspect. But yeah, I'm sure he'll he'll be uh, he'll be part in. And you know, the nightlife scene in Cromwell is incredible. <laughs> um, it, it rivals Vegas and uh, Miami, so I would be a little bit worried. By the way, why does Kokrak? What's the deal with Kokrak? Wasn't he like Liv's number one guy? Are the Liv fields getting too good that Kokrak's getting squeezed now? I think that like no laying up just harped on it for so long. And they were just like, so rude to him that like, he was like, I can't, you know, follow through with this because I was the guy from the start, but live. I, I don't know what's, what's going to happen. I, I have no, have in, I have stuff, no yeah. inside takes on who's, who's popping over there. Okay. Let me get uh, any more bombs for you. Any more gems in the six K range that you're mulling over. You know, someone, again, I think this is another really great number. Um, your uh, fraternity brother, Alex Smalley. I mean, he's mm. been popping up recently. Definitely too, not too. in my fraternity, Brian. The golf guys I know, I was just like, like you guys party. went to the same college. You yeah, know, right. Similar okay. dudes. I got you. Like, you yeah. guys are, are chill vibes. So 210 to 1 on a guy that was, you know, just in the mix was, so I think that's a pretty um, good number. I, Shank, I wanted to, you know, go 
but he didn't really even hit the ball that well at the U.S. Open. He finished well. I think he finished within the side, the top 20, but he's known for his ball striking. He almost led the field in ball striking at the Memorial and then withdrew when he would have, you know, finished T15 at the RBC Canadian Open. So, but he putted really well around the green very well. So if he can match those two together, Shank, again, another bomb. Um, I kind of like, but yeah, those are kind of my guys down low. I, I know you've got a bunch of them going. Also, Mateus Schwab, why not? Um, who, who are your bombs? <laughs> who are your bombs this week that, the, that you're vibing with? The four bets that I've made, Cam Davis, 150, Adam Svensson, 280. That's a great number on Adam Svensson. Doug Gim, 150 to one. And my boy, Lanto is hanging down all the way at 200, 200 to one. We were betting coming out like he was six at Wells Fargo and was in the mix in Mexico. And he was like 50 to one. And now Lanto's 200 to one. He was, I know he missed a cut at the U S open, but he actually hit the ball. Well, I mean, those are the guys I've bet. I can throw out some other guys that I think are good DraftKings plays. I think Jonathan Vegas, I mean, 150 to one on Vegas. That's a pretty good number. You too, too short of a course for you. Bomber no, birdie fest. I'm looking through Odd Checker. Check it out. It's a great website where you can compare odds and people like mm. Andy put out articles. So go check that out. There are some ridiculous numbers on long shots. I don't know what it is. This week. Right. I don't know if I've ever seen anything like this. And that's why I'm kind of hesitant to bet a can't um, bet a speed or for you to bet Cantley because you just have so much room down here. And there are just some phenomenal numbers on guys that have been playing decent on the PGA Tour at a course where long shots have won before. In the past, I don't know if the books know that like Rory or Scotty is going to win by a bunch of strokes, but there are some juicy, juicy numbers down here right. and numbers on guys that have been playing well that people have bet at like half the odds like two months ago. Right. Like if we're playing the course history game, why is Brian Harmon 50 to one and Kevin Streelman 200 to one? Like, how do you bet Brian Harmon at 50, but not Kevin Streelman at 200? Kevin Streelman's won this event too and been awesome here and it's actually i know he missed the cut recently but he's been he's been hitting the ball well too 150 to one on aaron rye is a really good number i think aaron rye is good i mean i'm going to play him in DraftKings. i might bet that 152 t dunks at 300 it's my boy i love me some t dunks broke, broke our hearts at uh the canadian open but we'll oh go right back God. we're fine yeah, we'll go we'll go right back and then yeah, I mean, some of these guys like Grio and Chessfest and CT Pan, like, you know, my usual suspects. Like, I, I just, like, again, I'm not just naming names. Like, I'm not just, like, saying, like, but, like, Martin Laird, like, you were betting oh, yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. 150, yeah. To, like, 125 to one. Like, yeah. not the long ago, he's 280. Kramer Hickok lost in a playoff last year. He's 280 to one. Like, Carlos Ortiz, he's 300 to one. Like, when did this happen? Like, where are these odds from? Like, these are just ridiculous prices. So, I, I don't really know. Hayden Buckley, he was in the mix last week. He's 300 to one. Wow. That's ridiculous. So, there was just some absolutely absurd prices down here. And that, I mean, I'm going to be pepper in this range and I, I think I'm not going to bet speed, honestly. Really? Okay. So your official pick to win for the travelers that you will be. So give me your schedule this week. Like what's the, what's the game plan? <laughs> like legit best crew of all time. We got Mateo. Oh, the boy. Um, Shout out Princeton. Like the boy go follow him on Twitter. He puts out golf picks, like just the boy and me and Jer him and jurors. We're going up. We got a hotel in like Berlin, Connecticut. We're going to leave super Is early. Is Berlin in Germany, BK? Berlin. No, there's a Berlin in Connecticut. Okay. I thought the same thing. 
Um, so we'll go to the course super early, boozing all day, like heavy, heavy boozing Saturday at the Travelers with the squad. Other people I know from Twitter are also going. So hell, that's hell. really awesome. Hell like else. random people, like random people, like people that have reached out to me. I, okay. I you know, the fans. So we got, yeah, yeah, we got, we got a squad. And then Saturday night, we might hit the Kachin. We might hit the Kachino. Um, there's what, Mohegan one. Sun? How far are you going from Mohegan, Mohegan Sun? Depending <laughs> on how our golfers are doing, booze have wake up early, go all day. I'll make yours, drive my mom's car back. I'm gonna get loaded Sunday, and that's it. That's that's the weekend, and hopefully we cash it out right. I mean, that's I I need it. And I talked, I tweeted this out. We're okay. we're, we're proponents of responsible gambling. When you have a close call, you double down. You don't, you know, you don't keep the same units. You double down after a close call. I got my heart broken last week. We're, we're doubling down. We're hitting it big this week, and we're going to hit it up at the Mahuigan Sun. Yeah, you sent me, you were sending me a screenshot of the Cam Davis bet that you put in for me, and I saw your Cam Davis bet, and I was like, whoa, that's uh, it's pretty aggressive on Cam Davis at 150 to 1. <laughs> dude like i need it like i just i just need it man like i'm just jonesing for an outright and it's tough in these streets man it's not everyone can be like you just like hit a bunch of outrights all year like it's tough out here in the streets so you know we're doubling down we're doubling down well this is the week denny mccarthy is the official pick to win yeah okay do you have a mortgage whale bomb top 20 no, not yet. I think Danny. I think Danny top twenty is a mortgage play well bomb. Uh, okay. I'll have some some money on that as a little bit of a, a hedge. But yeah, you know, just a you know a similar week for me. I think the biggest thing, Andy, how quick did the season go? Is it just because we're mm. so entrenched in it every week? We only have one major left. I remember when people were crying after the Open Championship that there wasn't going to be a major for another six months. It's like, well, there's only going to be one. It's just crazy how fast it's gone. It's gone by super fast. Are you the type of person that you rejoice? kind of the break like you really enjoyed november december or it drives you crazy that there's nothing to bet on no i i'm looking forward to the fall um a little those bit. events suck though <laughs> they suck like yeah. i'm tr- I'm just picturing now like doing my sanderson farm sunday preview pod i just yeah. like fuck man that's a tough one to get up for yeah, no, I mean, I think for the casual better, like, it's like, whatever, you could just skip it. But I mean, for us, we're like paid to put out. Oh, content. I'm going to bet it so 100%. Yeah. It's like, it's tough because it's like, oh, like, I'm literally like, I have to do a podcast this week. Like, there's no like, I don't feel like it. Like, so I, at that point, I'm very grateful, obviously, but it just makes it a little bit uh, more interesting. But we got to enjoy these weeks because who knows what's going to happen uh, going forward. Um, speaking of being paid to put out content, what do you got to plug? What's the, dude, that uh, was such a sick transition, dude. <laughs> that was so sick. Um, you know, follow me on Twitter, Brian Kirshner, tap and birdie every Tuesday. I just like to have fun. We talk with a friend, uh, go through the betting board. Who's on you know, this week? Uh, we got sky hook. Um, Oh, good, on, good, good get first. Yeah. Um, he, I reach out. I'm like, dude, I want you on TIB. He's like, I, really busy i can only do travelers i'm like all right done like fine um but hopefully we'll have some uh, nlu boys coming on in the near future hopefully maybe and then you will be on my pod for the open championship um i my pod is sponsored by betsperts go check them out i put out a best bets article for them and then i put out my favorite dfs plays every week for the sports gambling podcast network which you are very good friends with and they are just great people so go check that all out and 
you know, Andy, you put out so much great content. You put out so much great information. You're a great friend. And a lot of people make a lot of money because of you. So I'm extremely grateful for the information and the podcast you put out. I appreciate the kind words. Yeah. Hopefully we'll get, you know, I got a couple, uh, I got some people were really, really angry at me like early on Saturday when Joaquin Neiman and Xander were like seven over through eight. Like they were like, people were, I got a couple of DMs. Like you'd think I committed first degree murder by picking Joaquin Neiman and Xander. It's tough, man. It's tough in these streets. People, what did you do for me recently? What have you done for me lately? Yeah. It's it's tough in these streets, but we'll, we'll get them back on this week. And if you want any close up pictures of Xander, you know if uh, if the dad will be in attendance because I could. Stefan is Stefan's there most weeks, man. I mean, he. Uh, I would assume that he is there. Uh, you should get a selfie with him. He's a really good guy. That's kind of like your name. <laughs> I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna do that. Um, but yeah, should be a vibey weekend, and uh, I'm very much looking forward to it. And I'm very much looking forward for you to to come to the East Coast because I'm so fucking dialed off the tee. Brian Kirshner, it was good to see you, buddy. Of course. Have a great night, everyone. All right. That is it for the show. Special thanks to Brian Kirshner. Special thanks to rickrungood.com. You can find my DFS article up there on the site on Wednesday. And we'll see you, I guess, in a few weeks for the Scottish Open. Cheers. If I ventured in the slipstream Between the viaducts of your dream where my world still runs crack And the dead center back road stop Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.